You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Colley and joining me over there is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Uh, I'm doing well. I am uh, seated in a brand new chair, which we'll be talking about later, that I am quite enjoying. And uh, it's not the dead of winter cold, so I, I'm happy. It's going well. It's the season of love, too, right? Is it? Well, Valentine's Day is coming up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Well, I mean, it's eight days away. It's... um. Oh, it's fun. I mean, this this is it's very easy to get sidetracked on this. Maybe we should talk about Valentine's Day in the next really useful podcast. Then again, it'd be too late by then when we actually is go there out. Valentine's Day tech topics. Well, I don't know. Stuff, Maybe we should have thought of this in advance. The thing is, you see, it's it's twenty years since my wife and I got together. Um, not on Valentine's Day, but because of Valentine's Day, we actually um, went out on a. I asked her out on Valentine's Day basically and then we went out for a date five days later and then we've been together ever since basically how about that nice yeah, yeah. it's uh 20 so years it's like double though. special it is double Valentine's special. day yeah. and your your anniversary your meeting anniversary whatever yeah, you call it exactly yeah so uh, uh but it's not valentine's day special this week dear listener i'm afraid uh we have got various topics to talk about we've got the latest news that matters to you uh from the world of tech and we've got some tips and tricks to help you make better use out of the gadgets at your disposal whether they be phones tvs whatever uh we're going to kick this off with a little bit of a, a concerning development from uh, last week we told you about the t-mobile breach which was a massive i think it was 30 7 million people were affected uh, by a hack that was announced in January, a few weeks ago. Uh, it now transpires, at the end of January, Google Fi customers were sent an email about the breach, reports Android Police, and in the email it was said that the primary network provider for Google Fi recently informed us that there has been suspicious activity relating to a third-party system that contains a limited amount of Google Fi customer data. It's... Now, this is interesting, isn't it, when we, when we have got um, big companies working in tandem together in this manner and a security breach hits one, it is bound to spill over into the other, isn't it? Yeah, with the nature of these networks, that's kind of just the nature of the beast, I suppose. You know, Google Fi using T-Mobile's network as well as other networks. Um, but if T-Mobile gets hit, there's not really much Fi can do, I suppose, because they're relying on t-mobile for their own service so it is one of the drawbacks of these types of services for sure yeah um it's um th there's a lot of people concerned about this obviously um over on reddit uh, there's been discussion about this breach one author wrote that t-mobile already leaked my name date of birth social security number home address and dl number on the 2021 incident, it's very difficult for me to understand how this can continue happening. Another user expressed that companies don't want to pay for security. And elsewhere, there's suggestions that maybe a simjack, which is a form of identity theft, would be possible with the data taken if SIM card serial numbers are at large as well. This is a really concerning development from what was already a pretty bad leak 
Yeah, now I'm feeling a little bit worried because uh, I, I think I mentioned on a previous show, I use Mint Mobile now for my phone provider. I used to use Google Fi years ago, um, but Mint Mobile also relies on T-Mobile. So I haven't seen anything from them, an email or anything like that about uh, a similar breach of their data, but that could be on the way or not discovered yet or not announced yet. Yeah, I'd be worried as well. Apparently, T-Mobile is uh, not the provider to go for. Though I do like uh, a, a comment on Reddit uh, in that same thread. Someone said, "At this point, between phone carriers, insurance companies, and credit card agencies, or credit agencies themselves, it's probably only kids that don't have their social security number leaked." Which is unfortunately fairly true. I mean, I feel like if you just live a normal life, you know, you're at some point you're going to have pretty sensitive info leaked just because. I mean, credit agencies, you know, you never chose to do business with Equifax or whatever. It's just yeah. they have your data and they it was breached. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's always frustrating when this happens. Hopefully there'll be no more developments on this topic. But if there are, we will continue to discuss them for you. Uh, we're going to move on to... It's not good news. Icebreaker malware has been used to hack gaming and gambling companies. Now... Um, it doesn't matter what you think about gambling companies. I'm not a big fan of them. But hackers are targeting gaming and gambling platforms using um, what's known as a backdoor called Icebreaker. And they also use social engineering methods to uh, gain information that they can use to then inform uh, their hacks. Uh, it was announced on uh, February the 1st, 2022 from Israeli cybersecurity firm Security Joe, who uh, published a post regarding the icebreaker malware and it's using a months-long campaign um, that took place before ICE 2023. Uh, this will bring together a bunch of gaming enthusiasts and uh, the malware gets its name from the event itself. Um, so basically, the icebreaker attack is described as cunning and wise. And the the target has to open a link uh, or zip file, which, you know, most people shouldn't... I mean, no one should really click anything that's unsolicited. So, I mean, but, you know, people do, unfortunately. Because if of they course. didn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And... Um, once deployed, the um, the backer gives access to an the backdoor big pan gives access to an attacker who can take screenshots of the victim's machine, steal credentials, cookies, um, whatever files they want, really, and um, customize the target machine in order to just do what they want with it, really, and take any information that they want, monitor the user, and yeah, that's that's how hackers work, and then they have all the information that they need. Um, the 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 hack the icebreaker malware i mean it's the ta i mean they're targeting the right people here cuz you know we're talking about gambling and gaming and where where these two things kind of uh cross over i'm pretty sure the use of the term gaming here is the same as the use of the term gambling and um, we're talking about online gambling platforms and poker and all that sort of thing so uh the, the, you know, these, these hackers know that they've picked exactly the right people, haven't they? They've picked people who are going to just go and spend money. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, that's the part of the problem with the word gaming is, like, in my mind, it means video games, but it can also mean board games or, in this case, like, I hate the term gaming being applied to gambling machines because it's not gaming. It's, you know, companies designing ways to take your money more efficiently. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I guess it doesn't surprise, you know, people that are maybe 
are you looking forward to the event kind of thing a little more risky not not, not worry about what they're clicking on um i wish we could have like a worldwide like security keynote presentation or something to just stop people from doing this because like you said it's it's the human element if people just knew not to click this stuff it, we would have so many fewer instances of this but it's almost always the same story distributed through email and then from there they just get into the network it's yeah different different you know, the exact nitty-gritty of the method is different obviously of how the malware works but like the event is just the the trigger is basically the same. Yeah, there's very little variance there. So um, I'm I'm going to stick my neck on the line here and suggest that not many of our listeners are gamblers or involved in. <laughs> I don't know, obviously, but you know. Um, but just in case you are, just be careful and um, don't click on stuff that you shouldn't be clicking on. Don't click on unsolicited zip files or link files or anything, really. Just stay stay clear of them. Uh, now, we can move on to something a little bit jollier. Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra is officially announced, and it is coming along soon. It, you, can be, you can pre-order it now, and it's going to be available from February the 17th. This is, an, uh, this is a, the most pre- premium phone in the Galaxy S range, the most expensive, and is priced closer to an iPhone Pro Max rather than, say, an Android uh, Google Pixel 7 Pro. Um, I just want to uh, give you a quick idea of some of the specs. Uh, it's got 8 gigabytes of RAM or 12 gigabytes of RAM with 1 terabyte of storage, which is pretty mega itself it has a 6.8 inch qhd plus display with 120 hertz refresh rate uh it weighs 8.25 ounces measures 6.43 by 3.07 inches and is uh, just over a third of an inch thick the camera is 200 megapixel which is insane uh there's also a 12 megapixel camera for ultra wide a 10 megapixel camera and uh, it has three times optical 10 times optical and 100 times space zoom and that's just the back camera the selfie camera is 12 megapixels it's kind of uh i feel like it's slightly over the top yeah i I always kind of think that when i see samsung's phones i've never had a samsung phone when i used android i didn't have them um i guess you can kind of say the same thing about the iphone as well but like when you see the the highest end cameras on phones now like just like not the cameras quality but just like the cameras on the device like it just looks it's just almost ridiculous at this point like they had little like buttons and they were just like sticking them on the back you know there's so mm. many of them um yeah i, I have an, my, I have an iphone 13 pro but it's not a max i don't i don't like like huge phones like that um i see they're still including the s pen so it's kind of like as close to a replacement for the uh the galaxy note as i as i suppose we're going to get yeah um, yeah, it, but that's ooh, terabyte of storage and 12 gigabytes of RAM. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, my phone's got 12 gigabytes of RAM, my Oppo, uh, though I'm pretty sure it doesn't have that much storage. I noticed that the uh, the S23 Ultra is going to be uh, $1,199 and going up to $1,399 for the 12 gigabyte model with one terabyte of storage. Um, I mean, you could get a mid-range gaming laptop or a basic gaming laptop for that price. Oh yeah, I mean when I built my when I built my first laptop when I after or my first desktop after I went full time as a writer, I spent I spent about a thousand dollars. I want to say now that was in 2017 before everything was insane, but still, I mean it was I, that computer served me well for about five years. So yeah, that's a that's a lot of money. But 
as the article does point out, I think Samsung's been a little bit better at uh, software support. So you get four years of OS updates, five years of security updates. So I don't know how often people get a new phone, but in the world where you you know, actually keep your phone for a while, it's not too bad of a, of a pitch. I mean, four years of OS updates means you're always getting what's latest and greatest, and that's a pretty good life out of a phone overall. I, I really feel like, I feel like this for the last couple of years, but especially with the latest drop or two of phones, it really feels like we're really at a point where things are just so incremental. Like even, even in the old days, like year to year phones, there was always something fairly fresh and new. Like even when Siri was announced or just going from the Pixel 4 to the Pixel 5 and there was like the price dropped and whatever, there was always something, but it just seems like everything is so iterative now. Like we're already at the, we're going from like, instead of going from like 30% to 40%, we're going from like 95 to 97%, you know, like of the max quality or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. They are very small incremental developments with each release of phones whereas before they were kind of i wouldn't say quantum leaps but large steps weren't they but uh, we're not really it's it's as if we're hitting maybe it's oh i hate using this term because it gets overused but maybe a smartphone singularity let's get out of that conversation right away ben we were talking about Google Fire earlier and its uh, relation with the uh, T-Mobile breach. Uh, we were. The thing is, is Google Fire actually worth it? Well, um, it depends on your needs. So when I first wrote this article, I've updated it many times, uh, Google Fire was kind of one plan. And if it worked for you, great. And if not, it wasn't It wasn't going to work out. That doesn't make any sense. It was one plan. And if it was something that appealed to you, great. Otherwise, it was you wanted to look elsewhere. Um, but it has changed quite a bit. So I would say overall, Google Fi has a lot of benefits. Um, I've switched and I like Mint Mobile better for the price. But Google Fi does have some things to love, depending on uh, if any of the plans make sense for your needs. So we have a nice roundup of things to know before you switch. Should you decide to take the chance with Google Fi. Now, it initially launched back in 2015 as Project Fi, and it's Google's attempt to make a mobile phone service that is better than all the others, although it uses other phone networks, doesn't it? It um, uses T-Mobile and US Cellular. Uh, yes, that's correct. It used to use T-Mobile, Sprint, and US Cellular, and uh, Sprint is now part of T-Mobile, so that's obviously not part of the package anymore. Uh, so it has um, it has its own phone plans and pricing methods, and it's how, how does it because it's not available in the UK, and so I, I don't have a chance of using it. And obviously, most people in the US aren't using Google Fi. So how how do, how is it more attractive than say T-Mobile or or US Cellular? Sure. So I'm not familiar with US Cellular, but com the biggest thing compared to the big providers is just the cost. Um, when you go with AT&T, Verizon, those big players, they're just so expensive, I think, especially for like one person on the plan. Um, so I would say Fi's most attractive uh, feature is it still has three plans. So I can go through those briefly. So okay. uh, the first plan is flexible, which when, when I was on Fi, this was the only option. So flexible changes based on your usage. So you pay $20 per month for talk and text, and then you pay $10 per gigabyte of data used. Um, I'm sorry, I should say 20, it's $20 for talking text for one person. If you add more people, you can have up to six people on a five plan. 
on for every person you add, that base cost goes down a little bit per person. Uh, but with Flexible, yeah, you pay $10 per gigabyte of data. Um, and it has uh, what Fi calls bill protection, which is there's a max month that you can pay every month. So it's like if you use more than six gigs of data, if you're a single person, uh, then you won't pay any more for data after that. Um, you get a hotspot for no extra cost. It just it, you, you're charged for the data that you use. Uh, you can order data only SIMs. So if you have like an uh, an iPad that has a SIM card slot, you can order a free SIM card for, from Fi. Put your SIM card in that, and then use that data. Um, same same ten dollar per gigabyte cost. And the really cool thing about the flexible plan as well, if you if you travel internationally, you can use your service in over two hundred countries, so almost everywhere, um, at the same rate. So uh, texts are free, calls are like twenty cents a minute, but you can use the same uh, data rate. So if you go somewhere else, it's still ten dollars per gigabyte, which is a lot cheaper than a lot of big carriers carriers will charge you. Um, I know when we were in Australia, my friend had Verizon, and her she was she would have been charged ten dollars a day just for being Ooh. out of the country. So she kept her phone in, in airplane mode the entire time um, and just used Wi-Fi. So that's the flexible plan. Okay, so then Simply Unlimited is the next plan. So they, this is their second newest one, I want to say. Um, so with, with this plan, you pay, you pay a flat fee for unlimited data. So it's $50 for one person, and then from there it drops slightly if you add more people. Um, you don't get some of the extras, though. So you, you can't order the data-only SIM. Uh, you only get $5 per month of hotspot data, and you can't use file when traveling internationally. Uh, it's only available in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Um, all plans do let you call from the US to other countries at a low rate, but this plan doesn't let you travel to another country and use your service. Uh, and then finally, the Unlimited Plus plan is basically the Simply Unlimited plan without the limitations. Uh, you, get, you get unlimited data with a higher limit per person. Uh, so the Simply Unlimited plan, it's 35 gigabytes. If you hit that, it slows your data down. On this one, it's 50 gigabytes per person. Um, it also includes some extras. You get 100 gigabytes of space in Google One, which is your Google Drive cloud storage. You get a year of YouTube premium thrown in as well, which is a $120 value or $100 value. Um, you As much hotspot data as you want, you get the data-only SIMs, and you get the same uh, unlimited data in many countries abroad. Plus, you get free calls of various countries too. So that starts at $65 for one person per month, and then it goes down for adding more people on. So yeah, the right plan for you depends. Um, I had the flexible ones. That was all they offered at the time. And I liked it because I don't use much data. I'm on Wi-Fi most of the time. Um, but when I traveled and like was playing Spotify in the car, or using Google Maps more, whatever, um, you use data more quickly. And then it kind of gets to the point where you could be paying for unlimited data with a different carrier and, and save money. So it is worth a try um, if you have a phone that is compatible with it. Um, but yeah, it's not for everybody. Now, I notice uh, that specific phones are, in, are, are more usable with this. And it, it makes me think back to the times when you had uh, CDMA, which I don't think you have anymore in the US. We, ne we never used it in the UK. I think we still have it, to be honest. Um, okay. If you buy, I want to say if, if you buy a phone, it was Sprint and T-Mobile. I'm sorry, Sprint and Verizon, I think. So like if you go into a Verizon store and you buy one of their branded phones, I, I think that's a CDMA device. Okay. I'm not certain, um, but everything else is pretty much GSM and, yeah. and unlocked, so it's way more interoper interoperable between networks. Yeah, most of the rest of the world uses GSM. And Now, I'm looking at, the, um, at your guide to Google Fire, and I noticed that there are devices that are described as Google Fire compatible. Does that mean that there are phones that will not w run with this network? 
Uh, yeah, so your phone uh, has to, so they say that phones built for Fi let you switch between major networks. So uh, if your phone is not compatible with T-Mobile's network, then it won't work at all. Um, most Android phones should work fully with Fi, um, I, I believe. Um, when I had it, it was basically, you can only use the Pixel phones and like a couple of Motorola phones. Uh, now their page features uh, the higher end Samsung Galaxies, all the recent Pixels, um, the cheaper Samsung A range, as well as some of the Moto phones. Um, so if any of those, you should have the full features of switching networks. Um, other Android phones, maybe some older ones, you might not get the network switching, but you, sh you should still get a 4G connection or LTE connection. Um, and I, it does work with iPhone now too, but they say it's in beta. So you don't get the network switching and there's a few hurdles you have to jump through, but it can work. So um, I wouldn't recommend Fi if you have an iPhone to be honest, but you can get it to work if you uh, maybe have a backup phone you want to get online or something. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I wonder if that is, uh, I mean, I really hope that's not the way things are going to go and with, with networks that are dedicated that specific phones can't access. Um, yeah, I think I think it's because of the network switching. Because like with Mint yeah. Mobile, when you switch, there's two checks. It's it's does my phone work and uh, is my phone unlocked? Which those are the two things you need. As long as that's the case, you can bring it to Mint. Um, and what I forgot to mention, we talked about the pricing earlier. One thing I mentioned: a couple Google Fi does have a lot of extras and a few uh, things that a lot of big carriers have that Google Fi doesn't have you put up with that are nice. Um, so let's see. Uh, it includes Google's built-in VPN uh, that protects your browsing if you want to use that okay. uh, when you're on a public network. Um, it has visual voicemail, so you can just open up your phone app and read voicemail instead of having to sit through all the annoying prompts. Um, Hotspot does cost extra with a lot of plans, so that's nice to have that included. Uh, there's a referral plan. Um, family controls are easy, so if you have a family plan, it's easy for you to see how much data each person's using. You can put limits on their account. Uh, there's security features like blocking text from strangers uh, on a child's account, something like that. Um, and it's and it, there's no commitment either. So if you sign up and then you try for two months and don't like it, no harm done. You don't have to commit for a year or whatever. So um, the, the management and all that is easy. You don't have to be on the phone for you know two hours and wait to talk to someone who isn't very helpful, all that stuff. So you do That's bypass good. some of those hurdles with Fi here. Yeah. Uh, so would you, could you recommend Google Fi? I would recommend it if uh, the positions I'd recommend it in are a, if you barely use any data and you don't, you only want to pay for what you use, Fi is not bad. So if you're, if you're solo 20 bucks a month, plus $10 per gigabyte, if you use a gig, it's 30 bucks a month, plus whatever you pay for you know, taxes and fees aren't included. So that's not bad. Um, the simply unlimited. I mean, if you travel a, a lot internationally, $65 for no extra charge on your hotspot and being able to use your data abroad and being able to call 50 some countries for, for no extra cost, That's all nice. Um, I mean, there's definitely value to it. If, if you, if you're paying too much for your current carrier, that doesn't get you the features that you want. I would, I would look at it. Um, and, and this, the network switching is nice too. So I, I have friends that live in like Northeast Iowa, which is like middle of nowhere where they live. Um, and when I was there visiting them several years ago, when I had Fi, uh, I had pretty good coverage there because of U.S. Cellular. There's an app you can install, not official, but it tells you what network you're on when you're using Fi. And I had pretty good service there because of U.S. Cellular. So it is nice to have that backup no matter where you are in the country. Hopefully one of the two services uh, gives you a good signal. Okay. We'll move on. Um, if you've ever been on YouTube, 
and you know you're scrolling through uh, the videos that you see and then down the side you see a selection of playlists and you click on a playlist i do this quite often i i'm a big fan of uh, british comedy being british so uh, i tend to uh, look through people's playlists of uh, maybe from shows like a bit of fry and laurie uh which does um hugh laurie from house for example and stephen fry from various u.s shows black adder a serious star in uh, Rowan Atkinson, who's better known as Mr. Bean these days. Monty Python's Flying Circus needs no explanation. And quite often you'll find that videos are missing because they've been pulled from the playlists. What's going on there, Ben? Yeah, so this is a frustrating problem, and this is uh, a kind of a, not a personal article, that sounds corny, but it's one that I am very... I, th I think it's important because I hate this issue. So <laughs> videos are removed from YouTube pretty much all the time. Uh, we have a separate article about that that's worth reading as well. But um, some of the common reasons are uh, if the owner makes them private, um, maybe they're there was something in the, the video that where they got a copyright claim for it, or they just didn't want people to see it. Uh, private means that only people that they specify can see it. Uh, they might delete the video for the same reason. Maybe the whole YouTube channel is deleted. Um, if there's inappropriate content, YouTube might block it. Anything like that can happen. If somebody has too many strikes on their account, their account might get deleted and the video goes with it. Um, so that's why YouTube videos disappear all the time that you thought were uh, safe. I should point out that uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie from A Bit of Fry and Laurie were also in Blackadder. Um, <laughs> uh, so yes, as as you note, as you note there, um, th th they are removed for a reason. But there are there is a way to check out what the video was. But can you actually view the video using? Uh, as you explain here, you can use uh, archive.org to find out what the video was. But can you actually view it on archive.org as well? Well, the, your results may vary. So the article okay. goes through a couple different ways to find basically the problem. The thing that I hate is like you have a playlist and you, you, you know, you, you have videos in there. You're not going to remember every video. So then you open it back up and it just says video unavailable. And it's okay. Well, what was it? Like, you don't even know what it was to like try to find another copy of it, you know? Um, so a couple different ways you can try to recover it. One is just Googling the part of the URL with the video in it. Mm -hmm. um, you might be able to find the video uploaded on another website, or you might be able to find it like mentioned in a forum or something where someone said, oh, look at this video about whatever. Um, or there might be some kind of cached version you can look up. Um, if you can find it on archive.org, I'm sure we've mentioned that on the site before, that is a preservation uh, site that, that uh, grabs a copy of different web pages on a regular basis so that you can see how it looked in the past. Um, and the example I did in this uh, most recent update, I actually was able to watch a copy of the video. Um, that's not always the case because I don't think they actually archive all the media because that would be just an absolutely massive amount of data, obviously. But in this case, I was able to actually play the video on the archive.org page. So if you can do that, great. You might be able to find the video uploaded somewhere else too. So there, there are possible ways. It depends on how popular the video was if somebody would re-upload it on another account. Um, but yeah, you might get lucky. You might not. Okay, um, I uh, I think I will maybe next time I am faced with a missing video, possibly uh, be more proactive and see if I can actually find it using one of these methods. Yeah, and and the uh, should shouldn't neglect to mention either. Uh, the article also mentions an, an important step uh, for the future. So this method won't help you find something that you lost in the past, a video, but. 
Um, there's a really great free site called Recover My Video, and it is designed to prevent this problem. So you log in uh, with your, you make a free account, and then you authorize it to access your YouTube account. And then what it does is it like creates a database of your playlists. And then whenever a video is deleted or goes private or whatever on YouTube, uh, the site remembers that. So you'll get an email occasionally if you want that'll say, hey, five videos were deleted from your playlist. And then you open it up and it'll say, this video was made private. It was this. So then you can at least remember what it was, trying to find another copy, whatever. So this doesn't work for previous videos uh, that were deleted before you signed up for this this account, but it is free. So if this happens to you a lot, it only takes a minute to set up and then you have a, a backup of all the videos that you had uh, in a playlist. So it's worth setting up for sure. Well, that brings us to the point of the show when we do our recommendations. And um, I've got to say, I'm a little bit short of recommendations this week. I've, I'm, I'm at a kind of a crossroads of um, not having received things that I can recommend to you at this particular point in time. For example, I recently picked up at 50% of the price the Nintendo Game & Watch Legend of Zelda handheld. Oh, oh, nice. Where did you find that? I, I've thought about getting that because I've seen the Target, but I think... Uh... Well, I've, I've, got this, I've got the Mario Brothers one as well. So I've got them both now. Okay. So I got that from Game in the UK. Okay. So that, that was half price. Right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you can't get it online. And I've received the Firewall of Purple SE, which is a uh, device I'm going to be reviewing shortly for Make Use Of. And the clue of to, as to what that is is in the name, but what it exactly does, I'm not too sure yet. And, yeah, like many other people with a Steam Deck, I've been playing Spider-Man, which plays marvellously on the Steam the new Deck. Spider-Man 2018, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it, a great game. It plays so well, I can't believe how well it plays. And Miles Morales is just coming out as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a great game too. So, uh, so I, but I don't want to recommend those things either because, you know, we've recommended a lot of games over the past few weeks and I don't want to keep recommending games. So, um, with that in mind, and while I mull it over longer... And, you know, if every time we've gone quiet in the podcast, I've been thinking about what I'm going to recommend. I'm going to let Ben do his recommendation. Okay, I will take it. Uh, I have to say, I had kind of had trouble as well. Um, there's a few games, you know, I'm kind of a game recommender, I guess. That's So I, I enjoy recommending games, but I also I like to do it only when uh, there's a game that I think would be generally fun for people. Like, I wouldn't recommend something that's pretty niche. Um, so that's why I... I played two games recently. One I kind of had mixed thoughts on and the other I liked, but it is kind of niche. It's a JRPG. So uh, with that in mind, I am going to circle back to what I mentioned at the start and recommend my new uh, chair that I got. So um, I have had, since I went full-time writing, uh, which was about end of 2016, beginning of 2017, I got this chair. Uh, it was a lazy boy chair, uh, but I accidentally in store, I bought the big and tall one, which wasn't the end of the world, but the chair just was not super comfortable. Like I wasn't able to sit properly with my back up and not be like really far away from the desk. So I felt like I couldn't like sit in a typing position while also having my back in a good position. So I've been kicking around getting a new nice chair for some time. I uh, couldn't decide which one to get if I wanted to get a Herman Miller chair or, and then I saw steel case as an option. So after looking around and my one friend who's very good at looking at reviews and things when he's trying to decide on something new. Uh, I decided on the Steelcase Leap V2. 
and I tried to decide where to get it from. I looked all around uh, at various places. I didn't want to pay full price for it, but I knew there were stores that had like uh, liquidated chairs. So like if a business goes out of business and they have all their chairs, they sell them to a place and then you can buy them for cheaper. Uh, and I've settled on a site called Crandall Office Furniture uh, that I've been very happy with so far. So um, they remanufacture chairs, so they get them, I, I assume, from the same kind of thing where a business goes out of business and they, they have all their chairs. Um, Crandall actually goes through and like fully remanufactures the chair. So the base is the same, uh, but they replace the casters on the chair. They replace the cylinder. They replace the seat in the back. Uh, they replace the arm pads, and they give you a 12-year warranty on it. So wow. um, aside from the actual like part that the cat, like the bottom part the casters connect to and like the seat a base uh, you're basically getting a brand new chair and they use a thicker foam and some other improvements so it's almost better than the base chair um so the chair that i got it was one that was made between 2007 and 2014 but i mean to look at it you would barely know it wasn't brand new um it's a few very minor scuffs here and there that are totally inconsequential um yeah but overall i feel like i've been talking too much about the small details it's a great the, the chair is great and, and the experience with crandall was great um they ship it all to you um, and they include clear guides on how to put it together, which is easy. And there's all sorts of uh, tangential guides about how to use the chair tips and that kind of thing. Um, and they're super responsive to one of the things that made me want to go with them is when I was looking at uh, like the office chair subreddit, every time Crandall was mentioned, there was always somebody from the company in the responses saying, hey, let me help you with this. So I appreciate that because you never want to buy something expensive like this and then not be able to get a hold of somebody, but the chair is great too. It's super adjustable. There's lumbar support, which is awesome. My old chair didn't have that. Um, the armrests are fully adjustable, so you can you can go up and down, left and right, in and out. Um, the seat's really comfortable. Uh, the lumbar support is great, and uh, it's just a good good chair to be able to sit in. I don't I don't hate sitting now like I did. I didn't hate it, but I always like to stand more because the chair just wasn't that comfortable. I don't feel uncomfortable when I get out of it after a bit. So if you're looking for a premium chair, um, I would recommend the Steelcase Leap V2, and I would recommend uh, getting it from Crandall. It's still expensive, but it's way, way cheaper than buying a new one, and you're getting a great chair uh, that's basically brand new to you. So I've been very happy with it. It's definitely time for an upgrade. So, um, Okay, so my recommendation. I was uh, um and an iron on this, as you know, and I thought about what doing one thing, and then I thought, well, you know, it's fun, but it's a bit dull. So let's, in fact, it's not fun. Power line adapters aren't fun in the slightest. They are dull. So let's go for something that is fun. I've got two, okay? The first one is related to, uh, I think, the last time I spoke to you, which was um, my uh, when, I, when I picked up my new guitar. Yes, I remember that. There's a thing called a Black Mountain Pick, which is basically a plectrum with a clip over the top of it that you slide your thumb into. Um, and... Uh, So, that's what it does. It lets you hit those bass strings. Uh, rather than with your thumb, it would sound like this. So, it's a lot quieter. You don't get that attack. That's with it back on. That's a Black Mountain pick. I undenied whether it was actually worth getting one of these. And um, having got one of these, I'm kind of thinking, I should have got all three. Uh, rather than the, yeah, the, you can get a pack of three or a pack of one. I think I should have got three of them. Anyway, they're definitely okay. worth getting. My main recommendation, and you know, this is something that's been going on for a while here in the UK in particular, with, with um, you know, the press obsessed about the cost of living and things like that. There's been this uh, big drive to uh, get people to uh, spend less cooking, or less use less energy cooking, because you know we're all going to end up living on bits of celery and twig and 
locusts in the next 20 years. So they're trying to stop us from use, using heat to make proper food. Anyhow, everyone's got an air fryer. And I was a bit dubious about getting an air fryer at first. I thought, well, you know, all these people are getting air fryers. They're actually quite small inside as well, unless you're going to pay sort of double the price. So uh, are we going to get an air fryer? We turned out we did get an air fryer. And actually, it's really useful for specific things, such as pastries. Oh, okay. So I can huh. get up on a morning, get a couple of frozen pan of chocolate for my uh, twins, and... A, uh, a vegan croissant for my uh, dairy allergic uh, younger daughter. Pop them in the air fryer for 15 minutes, stopping halfway through to turn them over. And that's it. It's as easy as that. There's a few other things you can do in the air fryers, right? You can cook um, sausages and bacon in them. You can cook chips in them. You can uh, do uh, like frozen foods, cook them more or less the same length of time and temperatures you would in a fan oven, but obviously you check halfway through or you just set them for half the time and put them back in after you've checked them for the same time again. Um, they're really, really good. And you can get all these sort of like advanced air fryers as well, That, um, as well as having the timers on the stuff. They, they dehydrate the food and do other sorts of uh, the, the f- heating element cooking type things inside some of them have even have like a rotisserie built in it gets a bit silly when it comes to air fries to be honest with you but ultimately air fries are very useful and uh we we didn't really think that we would use it but we can it it probably gets used at least three times a week if not daily so i think it's worth getting so i would recommend an air fryer if even if it's just if you like getting pastries out the freezer I have heard good things from uh, multiple like friends and family who have an air fryer. I'm not too familiar with them, but I've heard they're like super easy and like you said, really versatile too. Which any toy you can get like that is uh, is a win. I would I would think definitely. I mean, one of the things we got them for really was chips, because you know deep fat frying chips is obviously not healthy, and you can cook them in the and, and you know spending money on oven chips is obviously you you know you're spending. I mean, the price of a bag of oven chips is probably it it it's it's not economical to keep buying bags of oven chips when you can just buy potatoes for like three pence a potato. So sure. or grow them. Uh so but my daughter, my eldest daughter, doesn't like them out doesn't like chips out of the air fryer. We're all like, What well, they're, they're fine. They're fine. Why do I like feel like it? it'd be way I think I've had them in an air fryer and I feel like they're way better from an air fryer than in the in the oven. Like I feel like oven fries are just not or yeah. chips are just aren't like when we cook chips at home before the air fryer, not using frozen oven chips, just like cutting up the potato, tossing it in uh, a little bit of oil and some seasoning, and then putting it in the oven. Right. She much prefers that method, which, I mean, it's very close to roast potatoes, admittedly, but they do turn out chip-like. So, um, you know, so, so she prefers them that way. I I, I don't mind either way, really, but... Uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a strange thing. I think some of it, a lot, and this is one of the key things about air fryers. I think some of it is in the preparation. I think you have to get the prepare the preparation right, and there is a, a, a school of thought that you have to um, rinse the potatoes for like half an hour in salt water, take away some of the starch, then you dry them in chip form, and then you toss them in oil, maybe some seasoning, then put them into the air fryer, and you don't put too many in at once as well. You sort of maybe have them layer a layer of them maybe a double layer of them and that's as much as it'll handle so maybe some of that is you know and that's the thing they they are versatile but they it can get a bit fussy as well 
That's just why I like them for the pastries, really. You can just bang the pastries in on a morning, go and, you know, get dressed, brush your teeth, comb your hair. Pastries are done at the end of it. I've heard it's good for, I think, egg rolls, too. I'm trying to think of what people have told me about it. It's been a while since I've had a, an air fryer conversation, but one of those things where I guess you just try it, and if it uh, doesn't come out super well from the air fryer, then you just don't make it in that again. Well, that's it. Exactly. So that's my recommendation, an air fryer or a Black Mountain pick, uh, whichever one suits you. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast with me, Christian Corley, and him, Ben Stegner. We're both from makeuseof.com, and if you have any interest in what we've discussed, share the show notes, share the podcast, and uh, let us know if you have any ideas or suggestions for a future show. We'll be back next time. Until then, it's goodbye. microphone when I was dancing there.